Amen. You may be seated. I love singing those hymns and I love that you would take a few minutes in your busy schedule. I'm sure you're like us. You have all kind of things going on uh, when it comes to uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, I'm assuming some of you have some food at home you're preparing. We have over 100 tacos ready to eat. And uh, so anyway, a lot going on. I want to ask that you would focus just a minute. And what we've been doing the last four weeks uh, is our Advent series called Treasures of Advent. If we have talked about what it means of biblical hope and joy and love and peace. And tonight we take a few minutes to uh, talk about the birth of Christ, the one who embodies all four of those characteristics fully. So I want to start with a story. I want to read a story to you that Charles Swindoll wrote, and it goes like this. Near the end of the Second War, behind the enemy lines in Nazi Germany, there were prison camps where American soldiers were kept. And in this one camp, they were not well fed, and they were starving. They were thin and discouraged. They were wondering if they would ever go home again and see another Christmas. And the Nazi guards watched them behind the fences with their downcast faces, their slumped over shoulders, scarcely speaking to one another. But suddenly, one morning, everything had changed, it seemed. They were still behind the fences, but they were not, and they were still not fed well. They were still very sick, and the guards noticed that they were happy, though. They were smiling, they were talking, they were gathering in little huddles, and every now and then you could hear a hoot from somewhere. Woo! The guards had no idea what was going on. The reason was news had broken in, and it changes everything. News changes everything. A little transistor radio had been smuggled in, and the American POWs heard the news that the Allied forces had landed. They had triumphed. They were moving steadfastly inland, and it would be just days before their rescue because liberation was happening. Swindoll writes, the point of that little story is the power of news. Nothing had changed in their lives circumstantially except news. News awakened the four things we've been talking about. Hope, and joy, and love, and peace. Luke 2.10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. <clears throat> so let me read. I just want you to even maybe close your eyes and just listen to these words and Maybe even say those words over as I read them, the Christmas story. We'll have a little background music as I do. <laughs> Luke 2, starting in verse 1 through 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Caninarus was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news." of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a, find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, if you're like me and you've been around Christianity for even a little bit, these 14 verses can become so familiar. So familiar in the sense that we can read them sometimes like blah, 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 and just keep on moving. And in doing so, they lose the impact that I think they are to have on us. We can believe, as you know, in the Bible, but can cease to be amazed by it because we become so familiar with it. And being familiar with it can be dangerous when it comes to God's Word. This passage, we must remember, is the culmination and the manifest... Say it with me. Thank you. Just want to keep you awake. Of 4,000 years of anticipation from God's people in the Old Testament. All that they had looked for, this passage speaks to. It is the God of the universe in whom we have offended in our rebellion, stepping in his own story, if you would, to salvage it. The birth is a story of rescue. God becoming man to bring man back to God. St. Augustine put it this way, he tells us to treat the scriptures of God as the face of God until we return to God or he returns to us. And literally in Luke 2.14, we see the face of God on earth for the very first time. Stunning. And I want to bring some reality to it. Sometimes, again, we can read scripture and when we do the blah, 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 it just seems like something in a far off Land, But we must remember it was a real day. Verse 11 says, for unto you is born this day. That the birth of Christ happened in a day in history. A day when Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome. And it was a day planned in eternity before the creation of the world for the appearance of God's son to take place. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 4.4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So it was no surprise to God. It was a day, a real day, and it was planned for all of eternity. Secondly, 
the text tells us it was a real city. Christ wasn't born in Narnia. He wasn't born in Middle Earth. He wasn't born in some galaxy far away. It happened in a city approximately 6,400 miles from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, a city that still exists today. That city is Bethlehem, six miles from Jerusalem. It's the city that the prophet Micah said the Son of God would be born in, in Micah 5. Listen to his words. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So it was in a real, it was a real day. It was in a real city. And it says, this child is the Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And we know because of our own sinfulness and a broken world that there's no one in the history of the world who hasn't needed a Savior because every person has sinned against the Holy God. And the angel in Matthew 1 tells us this, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It was a real day. It was a real city. It was a real Savior, and it was a real Savior who is Christ. Christ is our English word for Christos, which means anointed one, which is the meaning of Messiah. He is the final anointed king. He is the final anointed prophet. He is the final anointed priest. In him, all the promises of God, the scriptures tell us, say yes. So it was a real day. It was a real city. It's a real Savior, a real Savior who is Christ, and then a real Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Lord there means he is the ruler. The sovereign, mighty God was the one that was born, the Lord of the universe. Isaiah, 1,500 years before, wrote this in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. So I say to myself, I say to you, Fellowship Bible Church, in a world that is full of bad news, horrific news at times, Every day we can awaken with the God of good news who is alive in those who know him, is at work in those who know him. He wants to produce in us through himself hope and joy and love and peace both in us as we've been talking about and through us to others who do not know him. So I ask the question in light of this person, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born in a real day, a real city. He is the real Savior. He is the Christ, the Lord. How are we to respond to this good news of his birth in whom we were saved by? I don't know about you remember the uh, story of the soldiers. Remember how they 
in very difficult circumstances, responded, nothing had changed, just good news. And I love that little phrase that Swindoll says, one of them was even hooting. Woo! I would have been that guy, I think. Can you imagine that those soldiers would hear on that transistor radio that they would be rescued in a few days and being stoic? Can you imagine soldier one saying to soldier two, hey, they're coming to get us in a few days. We're out of here. And soldier two goes, cool, and just lays his head down. Sometimes that's how we can respond to this kind of passage, the news of the Lord Jesus being born. So I want to give you just a couple of things, four quick things and how may, we may respond to the birth of the Lord Jesus. First Peter, I want to start off here, 2, 9 through 10, tells us, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. There's the good news into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy and it had nothing to do with us. So I think the first response is, in 2022, as we turn the corner to really believe who God has made you in him and to embrace fully, maybe for the first time in your life, how he feels about you, those of us who have trusted him. It is a game changer. Dane Ortland, in his great book, I would highly recommend it, called Gen Gentle and Lowly, it's fairly new out, writes this. The high and holy Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. We naturally think of Jesus touching us the way a little boy reaches and touches out to touch a slug for the first time face screwed up, cautiously extending his arm, giving a yip of disgust upon contact and instantly withdrawing. This is why we need a Bible. Our natural intuition can only give us a God who is like us. I encourage you to believe what God has said about you in him. And to believe with all your heart how he feels about you if you know him. Second way I think we respond to the birth of the Lord Jesus is we respond to him by making time to be with him in this coming year. Jeremiah the prophet wrote in Jeremiah 15, 16, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts, very familiar passage, Psalm 119.11, simply but beautifully says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Dane Ortland again in his book, Gentle and Lowly, puts it this way. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. 
This is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean or how attractive or revolting or how faithful or fickle we presently are. Jesus, he says, is not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but one of open arms. I pray because you know how the Lord Jesus feels about you and who you are in Christ, that you would respond to his birth by making room in your schedule to meet with him regularly. And then the third one is simply worship him. And I want to take us to Luke chapter 1. I recently saw the, uh, how many of you have seen the Christmas special, uh, The Chosen? Anybody here? I want to highly recommend you to watch it. It was very powerful. Some tears in our den the other night. In there where Mary actually birthed Jesus, this story. And Mary was recounting how she wrote uh, her song of praise, The Magnificent. When Mary uh, visited Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, and uh, she responded to the baby that was in her, the Lord Jesus, the God-man. Here's what she said. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. We respond to this birth by worshiping him. I love those first words. My soul magnifies the Lord. Deep from our hearts, with great passion, with great emotion. And then lastly, as we celebrate his first coming in Advent, that's what Advent is. Part of Advent is celebrating his first coming, which we're doing. But the other part of Advent that we haven't spoken much about is actually also looking forward to, with great anticipation, his second coming. Just as Jesus in Luke 9:51, and Luke records this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, meaning on the cross, he set his face to go to Jerusalem to the cross. And so we, as we look for a second return, one of the practical things that we can do as believers is to set our face, to set our souls, to set our life purpose and passion and intentions, to set it toward this day, this day when he returns or when we pass from here to there, 
that everything we look at in life, every circumstance, everything we do, job, work, family, home, we look at it through the lens of this day. Us being with him or him returning for us. The writer of Revelation, Apostle John, wrote these words in 1-7. Behold, he is coming. That's a promise. He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who are pierced. Even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So I say to you, because he came the first time on a real day in a real city, who gave us a real Savior, who was Christ the Lord, that is 100% certain that he will return again. Or when you pass from here to there, you will see him face to face. No greater guarantee. I can't guarantee you a lot. I can guarantee you that. Here's how Billy Graham put it. He said, Bible, the Bible teaching about the second coming was thought of as doomsday preaching, but not anymore. It is the only ray of hope that shines as an ever-brightening beam in our darkening world. So as we celebrate the birth of Christ, I encourage you to be intentional about what we talked about. Think through it. It was real. It happened, and there are implications that literally are life-changing for us. So love you. Great to be with you. Hope you have a great Christmas. Let me pray. Stand back up with me as we continue to worship. And as we do, I want to light the Christ candle. And I want to light the... Uh, candles on the front row here, and if you would carefully, okay, carefully light the person beside you and pass it around. We, we don't need a fire alarm going off, and try not to drip them, okay, but if you do, we can clean them up.